Dr. G, thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm doing great, Stephen. How are you doing? Yeah, wonderful. Thanks for asking. Uh, maybe you can just take a moment to let our viewers and listeners know what it is you do, what keeps you busy. So I am a clinical and a forensic psychologist. My name is Dr. J.P. Garrison. I go by Dr. G. I have a YouTube channel called Dr. G Explains where I talk about true crime, talk about body language. I am a personality disorder expert. I treat and evaluate personality disorders. And uh, I also have an, a degree in counterterrorism and an MBA, so I keep myself busy with a lot of things. Wow, that's a lot. A degree in counterterrorism. Mm -hmm. I suppose just as a, a quick left field question before we delve into your your expertise in narcissism, in terms of counterterrorism, what would you say represents the greatest threat to either the United States or globally in terms of terrorism in 2024? That's a great question. In 2024, because when I was doing it, it was back when there were, I think the there was a nightclub that had just been attacked by some uh, all right. Uh, yeah. yeah. I so think that, that was, that was the pulse nightclub. Was it not? Pulse he was, he was an, he was an Islamist. Omar Mateen. Right. And that, that was back it, it, at this point. It's hard to say it's all over the place. I think as strange as this sounds, I think the internet and its ability to indoctrinate people probably poses the biggest threat just in general. So it, there's not one specific group that I have. There's quite a few actually. Okay. That's, I'm not sure if that's really unsettling or less unsettling, but to, to, to move on slightly, it seems that uh, YouTube has afforded uh, a wonderful platform for people such as yourself to sort of uh, exhibit your, you know, kind of uh, body language expertise and, and looking at people in, you know, high profile cases. This, it seems to be very popular uh, a pastime and it's quite entertaining as well. And I just wondered if you could give people a, a basic overview of like the the sort of academic aspects of it or the scientific aspects of it, because some people, they'll, they'll think it a science other people will compare it to sort of reading tea leaves uh, what, what can you tell us to make it uh, sound like a credible field of expertise so the body the body language that i have studied is all based in research there's a lot of research on body language a lot of good peer-reviewed research actually and a lot of that is based in the idea that humans are very good at survival so the body language that we look for is twofold one is when people make themselves more or less vulnerable like the face and chest are places that are very vulnerable on us. If we get attacked, those are going to be the most vital parts. So when people cover or obscure those in some way, sometimes that can be telling. In addition to that, when people are feeling uncomfortable, they do things to pacify themselves. So if you're talking to somebody, you get sort of a baseline of how they normally act. And then you ask them a question and you presume, what if they're lying right now and they start trying to calm themselves down? That's a, a difference in behavior you look for. And so then you can maybe identify when people are starting to be deceptive, misleading, things like that. But it's all very much based in cognitive science. Does your presence now make friends and family slightly uncomfortable in the way they, they, they go into like straight jacket mode around you and during conversations? Family, not so much, but friends do actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because they know that I'm actually, I'm going to say something because I can't help but point things out. I can be annoying in that way. So sure. That's really funny. I just had a great question in the chat, actually, from Fred Witherow. He's asked, do you play poker? A, a little bit. Now, it's it's more just for fun. Um, I, I, I can read people well, but I don't have a good poker face myself, so it doesn't do me as much good. <laughs> Fair enough. So I suppose, I mean, I've been looking at some of your YouTube um, output, and it, you know, it's fascinating. And you, one of the things you covered, because we had hours and hours of footage, and I think the entire world was captivated by it, was this Johnny Hurd Amber Johnny Depp, rather, Amber Heard uh, mm -hmm. trial, very 
public and bitter legal dispute. And yeah. I, I just thinking with, with them being actors as well, that surely adds a second, third dimension, perhaps in the fact that they are used to having, you know, high resolution cameras this close to the face and their job is to convey an emotion. So they're, they're very good at representing emotion. So how, how is it? possible to really get a handle on what they're doing body language wise when their entire reason for existence normally is to convey something they're not actually feeling it's much more challenging that's a great point so people that are really practiced at acting lying trying to convey emotions that they aren't necessarily experiencing are going to be much harder to read with body language because what we're looking at is a manifestation of emotion or an attempt to soothe emotions so actors can be better at that but you also have to be a really good actor to pull it off convincingly and not everybody is even actors. So sometimes they get things a little bit wrong. And uh, when people start getting anxious or when people are on the stand, like in the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial, when they were pressed and anger or other emotions would, would push through that would sort of overwhelm what they maybe wanted to portray. You could, you could see a different dimension than maybe what they were, what they were trying to do. Well, I mean, let's let's. I mean, I know it was a while ago, but people are still very fascinated in in this this couple and, and this case. I mean, just uh, focusing on Johnny Depp, perhaps for mm -hmm. a moment. What what are some of the things that jumped out about you that you managed to get from his body language, which you thought that's interesting, that conveys something that's quite revealing? I'm trying to remember myself. You know, some of it is. I thought people were a little bit soft on Johnny Depp. So I actually covered Johnny Depp a good bit because people were more focused on Amber Heard, which there was plenty to cover there. Don't get me wrong, but people didn't focus as much on Johnny Depp. And there was uh, one of the things that it seemed that he would do, at least my observation was it seemed that he would talk down to attorneys in, in a, a certain way. He would try to make himself seem sympathetic at times when it didn't really make much sense. And he would be, um, uh, patronizing at other times. There was body language that suggested that, that suggests a certain level of haughtiness and things like that at times. Yeah, I, ca I caught that uh, as well, for sure. And, and in terms of Amber Heard, I mean, the, she seemed to have the worst deal publicly, e even before the verdict. A lot of people sure. would turn on her. There was a lot of memes going around, mocking her insincerity, pointing out the fact that she's an actress and not a particularly good one was the kind of uncharitable uh, yeah. conclusion people were making. What What did you make of her? Hers was actually very challenging because I think there were aspects of what she showed that could have been very genuine, but they were combined with this performance to maybe seem like she was feeling more than she was at times. So it was confusing. So it wasn't like everything was 100% inauthentic necessarily, but it was so performative that it overshadowed anything that might have been real in there. So it was just she sort of overwhelmed people with this strange sort of behavior. Yeah. I mean, is there a higher correlation with narcissism in the, the entertainment industry and celebrities? And if so, what, what in your view would explain that? 100% there is because it attracts people that think they're special. So part <laughs> of understanding narcissism is understanding that the cornerstone of narcissism is grandiosity. It's people that genuinely believe they are better than other people. And so that is going to people like that are going to gravitate to politics, to acting the places where everybody can see how special they are because they feel it. So you're going to have a disproportionate number of narcissists coming out of Hollywood, no question. And I suppose and the narcissist has this really grand opinion of themselves. I suppose that, you know, they feel that they are special in some way, as you've, you've pointed out, they can do no wrong. What kind of things can they do behavior-wise when that perception sort of challenge? How does that manifest in either their body language or the things they say, you know, behavior-wise? 
So one of the things we see with their body language, they'll invade other people's space. They will be very expansive. They will try to be the biggest person in the room. And so one of the things that we'll see in terms of the body language, like if, if it's a in, a in a relationship, for example, they'll do things to make other people feel smaller. Like if they know that somebody wants to be left alone, they'll find subtle ways to manipulate and irritate or to, to get close. They'll do things knowing it's going to bother somebody else. Nothing bothers a narcissist more than seeing someone else feel calm and feel good. Like if, <laughs> if, if, if there's a couple, one person's a narcissist, the other person's doing fine and they're sitting there enjoying their day, the narcissist will find a way to go like, huh, did you really decide to wear that shirt today or something? You know, they'll come up with some way to make them feel off kilter and make sure they're feeling unsettled. So they have a lot of different ways to to get at people. That's really interesting. And I just, it's just, I've just thought now, actually, in terms of narcissism, I mean, it, it seems like it's probably a lot more common than people suspect. And I was just wondering, is there sort of any kind of evolutionary psychology on this? Like what kind of, you know, function it might serve, why people might evolve to be narcissists? Does it, does it offer opportunities or a certain adaptations that could be useful? They do make good leaders because they don't care. They, they have enough. Now, let me rephrase that. They lack empathy to the point that they can tell people to do things and they're not worried about their well-being. So we see lots of world leaders that are narcissists. Uh, there is some research that suggests, and I don't know how accurate this is, that had researched U.S. presidents back a few decades and basically had, had come to the conclusion that they all likely had some degree of, of pathological narcissism. So they do make good leaders, just like people with borderline personality make good followers. So they make great soldiers. A guy with a borderline personality that is willing to run into battle and risk his life for this, for uh, for their leader, um, to a degree that is pathological, not like a normal soldier, but one that's really wild. Like there's a, an adaptive function to that too. So all of these personality disorders, awful for, for relationships universally, but they do have their roles. They do work well in certain roles. It's interesting to think that civilization might depend on the convergence, convergence of several personality disorders. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, polit the politics one's fascinating. And I can think of a few people off the top of my head it might relate to. But I mean, what have, what have you observed over the, the last few election cycles in terms of which leaders exhibit this sort of narcissistic personality disorder? My, this is, this, it, it, I'm most obviously familiar with U.S. politics. But if we go back the past few presidents we've had, or if I think about like Bill Clinton, Obama, Trump, they all show signs of narcissism. They all seem to think that they are special to a degree that they, 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 have, they have different types of charisma, though. That's the most distinguishing factor. I've really had people be upset with me when I've suggested that Obama likely has some narcissistic tendencies. So they're like, yeah, but he seems so nice. It's like, well, he's got a better sense of audience than someone like Donald Trump does. But that doesn't mean that he's not also a narcissist. <laughs> So, I mean, how does it fall narcissism on the spectrum? I mean, I'm assuming there are different kind of uh, gradations of it to an extent. Mm -hmm. So, so the, the, the spectrum of narcissism, if we were to look at it, it uh, is there's narcissistic personality disorder, which would be its worst form. Personality disorders, which I can explain if, if need be. But in essence, they are when one aspect of the personality is so strong and so dysfunctional dysfunctional it overwhelms the rest of the personality that that's just the dominant trait so for someone with like borderline personality the dominant trait there is instability so their instability dominates everything else what they lack the most is proportionality nothing is proportional that they react to with narcissism grandiosity dominates everything 
and a lack of equality is their biggest deficiency. They don't see, they don't understand the concept. They truly don't understand the concept of equality because everybody is less than they are unless maybe you're special like them. And then you get to qualify as being on their level. There's a lot of people as well who will look at personality disorders now and, and say, you know, that the, the prevalence of it in the, the common era is, is just a kind of um, product of a muddy cuddling society. Everything, everyone's got a, an issue now. Everyone's got something that they can put in their biography on, on Twitter, for instance. And I, I mean, how much of that do you think is true? Or is it a case if we've simply just got better at understanding and diagnosing these these personality disorders? I think I think it's a little bit of both. I, I think that we definitely ha- are much better at identifying it now. We're able to categorize pathological behavior and say, "Hey, like that person, that's that person is not just eccentric. That's a problem of some kind." So I think that in some ways we're we're able to identify these things better. In others, I think that people use these terms very commonly where they may not fully apply. Where somebody may be acting narcissistic, but they don't. They're not a literal narcissist. There is a difference between somebody who is a bit self-involved, a bit grandiose versus someone who sees human beings as objects to get their needs met. Like there's that genuinely lack empathy. So great. They can't understand what it feels like for the, for the average person. So I, I think the percentages are probably the same as they've always been. I mean, it seems like there's a, a little, I mean, I'm obviously, I got a very low level understanding of this, but it seems like there's a slight crossover between perhaps sociopathy and narcissism. I mean, how can we, how do we distinguish between the two then if empathy is one of the main, you know, that's, correlations? That's a great question. Um, the biggest difference, and, and it, it, th- there is a lot of overlap. So so being a sociopath or antisocial personality disorder, that tends to be the bucket we put some of those people in. But it's not always the case. You can be a narcissist and be someone who's a sociopath and just be a narcissist. They, you know, one of the things that I do on my channel is evaluate a lot of psychopaths, murderers, people like that. And there are plenty of them that if you were to give them a diagnosis, narcissistic personality would, would be the primary one. Um, but there is, they're all part of the same cluster of personality disorders. It's called cluster B, which is histrionic border. And I know it gets complicated, but histrionic borderline uh, narcissistic and antisocial and anybody who meets any of those probably has some traits of the other ones too. It's the whole cluster sort of comes together. It's just which one is the most dominant of those bunch. That's fascinating. And I mean, who, who's really interesting to look back at in terms of, you know, a, a prolific kind of uh, serial killer or murderer, perhaps that we've got footage of that perhaps at the time wasn't evaluated because the, you know, the field of study wasn't as advanced as it is now. There wasn't as many people looking into it. Who's interesting to look back at now and ap- apply these tools and say, ah, I think I can see a pattern of narcissism here. One of the guys that I think is most interesting, there was a serial killer that like every horror movie in the 80s was basically based on this guy named Edmund Kemper. He was an American serial killer in the early 70s, otherwise known as the co-ed killer. Extremely charismatic, kind of nerdy, but for whatever reason, very likable. And the things that he did are beyond description. I won't go into any of them now because they're truly awful. Like he was beyond, he's as bad as any human being I can think of. But when you watch him talk, you kind of want to like the guy. You kind of get drawn in by him. And, uh, Part of what I try to do on my channel is explain to people how to not get drawn in by this stuff because it's hard sometimes not to like a charismatic narcissist. You want to like them uh, because they make themselves likable until you're in a personal relationship with them and then they, you realize, okay, this is not so great. But superficially, you want to like these folks. But yeah, Edmund Kemper is a good example of that. 
I will definitely add that one to my list. That's not something I'm familiar with. Um, I suppose in, in terms of that, you know, charismatic kill, I think T- Ted Bundy probably had a bit of that. So, I mean, that's interesting to me how you say you, you spend a lot of time trying to school people on how not to be sucked into that kind of thing. Because I, when I, I'm a people person, whenever I meet a person, I want to like them. I want to, you know, be happy about being in this person's presence. They have to do quite a bit for me to not like them. So how, how would you kind of guard, help people guard against um uh, people who've got like a narcissistic traits people will oftentimes tell you who they are narcissists generally don't try to hide it so when somebody says like tells you that they're self-involved or that they really ca- that they care more about themselves than other people listen to them even if they're saying it in a joking way go you know what if you're telling me that you're awful i'm going to actually believe you because a lot of these folks will tell you that then they'll play it off like it's a joke but people will oftentimes tell you exactly who they are so listen to them i mean that's that's fascinating how they might play it off as a joke because you'd think good humor or effective humor probably relies on some feeling or understanding of the human condition and human emotions and human empathy yeah. and stuff like that. I mean, so is it just a case of that maybe narcissists have just got good at manipulating with humor? Yeah, they, they know how they have enough empathy to manipulate people, but that's pretty much it. They don't actually feel what you feel in the sense that like if you, if they've made you feel bad that they're going to be affected by that, but they understand people's, feelings and emotions well enough to manipulate them. So that's that's really their core. They are master manipulators. They're very good at it. So I don't know if the, this is somebody or somebody's rather you've been keeping an eye on, but we had a huge, in the UK rather, a huge fascination and media circus around Meghan Markle and um, the other one whose name's just eluded me, uh, Prince uh, Harry, of course. This is, you can tell I'm a big monarchist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they were not particularly popular uh, in the UK, and then they went and moved to America. Sorry about that. And they have also been at the centre of a lot of American media interest as well. A lot of people are specifically looking at Meghan and, and and reading certain things. She's obviously got the actress background. Is this somebody who you've looked at at all in this regard? I haven't looked at her a lot because I focus so much on true crime. There's certain people that I see. This sounds kind of strange, actually. There's certain people that I see <laughs> that bother me more than the, some of the murderers and psychopaths. Oh, wow. Them. So I haven't followed a ton of it. There are aspects of, of Meghan Markle, just from the bits I've seen, because I, like I said, I haven't followed it closely, so I haven't like done like this thorough analysis. But there are aspects of her that sort of immediately feel, uh, that don't feel genuine. And a lot of us pick up on that very quickly. Humans are very good at figuring out if somebody's being authentic. And there's something even in passing about her and once again, this is not some sort of deep analysis. This is just my passing observation that feels inauthentic. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree on that for sure. And you started this conversation by when we, was, when we briefly touched on counter extremism by pointing to the issue of social media and what that's creating and how we, I mean, what frightens me particularly about is the fact that it doesn't matter what view you have or how extreme it is or how untethered from reality it is you can find enough people online who will reinforce that view and be part of your tribe and you can kind of live in a little echo chamber of any flavor and i was just wondering what what sort of thing is what's that doing social media to our mental health and how does that relate to narcissism it's not doing much good for our mental health i can say that for sure i i don't mind the concept of social media but exactly what you're talking about is happening which is that we're taking bizarre or illegitimate positions and you have enough people that agree with it that then you have an echo chamber saying yeah your completely stupid position is great you should just 
<laughs> follow this follow this position to eternity and then people do and then they no longer can function with other people so we see it's the vast majority of people that interact with social media i think it's fine but there is definitely percentages of people that are pulling getting pulled to the extremes in a variety of ways left right i would say at center but if you're center you're not getting pulled anywhere but that are that are on the far degrees of the uh the spectrum politically and otherwise and we are seeing I think the vast majority of us are fine with social media, but when you take people that are vulnerable, that's really the the key issue. Is if somebody's vulnerable, it can it can pull you in ways that can uh, be very destructive. Yeah, I think I think a few years ago, well, more more than a few years ago, I was I was a little bit dismissive of this issue in the sense that I'd say, you know, all the 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 extreme views we see online playing out, that's not really real life. You know, you open the front door and you walk outside and all that suddenly goes away. And there's the real world where there are reasonable people to a certain extent doing reasonable people things. Doesn't feel like that's quite so true anymore, does it? It feels like this kind of online world, uh, this online mentality is kind of spilling over into our politics, into our academia. Is that something you would say is fair? Absolutely. And the scariest part of it to me is... Uh, and I, I'm sure there's people who have researched this a lot more than I have, but what percentage of people are even real people that people are interacting with online? I mean, there's bots and stuff that, that specifically are there to help divide people. Things like Facebook. The problems I have with social media is I think that some of the algorithms like people arguing, because I've noticed sometimes if um, I'm on Facebook or something, it will send me articles that if I was to respond, I would definitely be arguing with somebody. I'm like, I'm not engaging with this because I feel like it's trying to get me to, to, to argue and I don't want to do it. But it, it's this tendency to, to get us irritated with people that disagree with us and then find people that agree with more extreme views that we have. It's just it's I, I don't know if that's by design or if that's just how it's played out, but it's really unfortunate, I think. How much do you how much stock do you put in this idea of foreign manipulation in, in terms of trying trying a new kind of form of warfare, sort of digital manipulation and getting us all fighting on social media while they, you know, they, they dominate? I mean, I, I, I imagine there's a certain extent of that. I imagine there's a certain amount of it. But how how high up and how prevalent it is, I don't know. What's your, what's your uh, kind of handle on that sort of thing? My feeling is that that's that there's a lot of that going on. I think that that gets these conversations started and then idiots take over that are real people and uh that are and and echo these these ideas uh because i've seen otherwise rational people talk about some pretty stupid things that i i feel like you know may have gotten started by what you're talking about like you know uh foreign actors in some way trying to to cause harm and it, it working but i don't think that it's exclusively that but i do think they're I think there has to be a large component of that, but this is not research based. This is an assumption I'm making, but that, that, that I think logically it's, it's hard to imagine that's not happening quite a lot. Have you done much reflection in, in, in this regard in terms of narcissism and, you know, charismatic serial killers on, on perhaps Charles Manson, one of the most notorious people didn't actually kill anyone directly himself. Uh, obviously was, uh, in prison for the, you know, influencing others to carry out murders. And he seems in, in the video footage, I've seen a very interesting, often humorous, entertaining, you know, smart, philosophical individual, batshit crazy as well, yeah. but uh, very interesting. What what kind of things have you, have you thought watching his behavior in interviews? Well, I've watched quite a bit of Charles Manson. I think that he's sort of fascinating in the sense that we know that some of what he does is a performance. It, there's an interview that he did with 
it was Diane Sawyer, where if you watch the whole thing afterward, they actually show they take a break and he's like talking about how he's kind of playing. He's like, did I do a good job? Kind of like, you know, playing it up. So, I mean, he very much does try to play this role of this evil, crazy guy. Now he was crazy and he definitely uh, was not a, not a good person at all, but he, he's a hard one to read because so much of it is a performance, but I genuinely believe he was a horrible person. So like, I'm not defending him in any way. Yeah, let's just get the disclaimer out here. Not not fans of Charles Manson in any way, for sure. Just had another great question in the in the chat. A Nexus has asked, uh, since the lockdowns, has Dr. G observed more people's disorders are more visible? So, I mean, it's lockdown had in a, an effect in that regard. On anxiety, yes. Anxiety has been through the roof. And I'm seeing that uh, manifest in different ways because people are spending a lot more time alone now. A lot more people are... And I don't I don't criticize working from home. I think it's great if you can do it. You know, that that's not a bad thing. But I am seeing when people particularly that are living alone or that don't, you know, not not partnered up or don't have families or whatever that are just by themselves, like, you know, the vast majority of hours of the week, it's making anxiety worse. So I definitely think um, that it, at least for anxiety and depression as well, we're, we're seeing an uptick of that ever since the the pandemic started. So. Yeah, that makes sense. And just getting back to this this problem of social media and falling into silos and perhaps going down conspiratorial routes and going too extreme left or right. What what's the solution to this? Because it seems like social media as a phenomenon in human uh, civilization is a very new thing. It's in its infancy. We all quite don't know what we've got yet in a, in in that regard. We don't quite know the extent of the damage it can cause. Is this something that needs to be taught in schools in terms of how to manage screen time, or do we need more emphasis more emphasis on critical thinking perhaps so that we can spot fake news and conspiracies and things like that yes but we got to make sure the critical thinking is coming from the right person there therein lies the issue is what type of critical thinking do we use i, I think critical thinking is extremely important but at the same time you know okay let me explain it this way the smarter somebody is once they believe something ridiculous the more they will defend it and so we have people even very good critical thinkers who believe things that are completely ridiculous and will defend it tooth and nail because they know that they're smart. They're used to critically thinking. So once they've become convinced of this, then they double down on something that might be totally wrong. So it's very hard, but yes, we need to critical thinking and teaching critical thinking is extremely important. I don't think less screen time is necessarily the solution because I don't think that's inherently the problem. I think the problem is that we need to feel comfortable saying to extreme voices, like that's extreme. I'm not going to listen to you. That's the solution is to, to take extreme voices and go, okay, that's an extreme position. I, I'm not, I'm not interested in that. So getting a little more closer, a little closer to the center, I think is probably the solution. Okay. So you spent a bit of time, obviously looking at Johnny Depp and uh, Amber Heard in, in the past. Is there anyone else in, in the public eye who's in the entertainment industry who's caught your eye recently? You thought this is, this person is worth observing for certain reasons. So, so Oh, that's a good question. There's a lot of people in Hollywood, that I, and I'm not trying to sound negative here, but I just don't like. There's people that just give me a bad vibe. Um, uh, somebody, name and shame. Uh, sorry, say that again. Name and shame. Yeah, right. Well, now one one person, and, and just to be super, super clear what I'm saying here, um, I was watching Jimmy Kimmel and Aaron Rodgers talking about like all this, this Epstein stuff. This is not related to any of that because this goes far back, but like Jimmy Kimmel, for example, is somebody who I have a distinct dislike for. 
I don't like the, the 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 energy he gives off. He feels like sort of a hypocrite. Like there's certain people that I just don't like. Ellen was like that too. I did not like her from the beginning. It was no question that once people started saying things about her, it's like, yes, obviously she is like this. She once again, she seems to have worn it on her sleeve that she seems to be that type of person. So it was no shock that when people were like, yeah, she's really mean. We don't like her. There's a number of people in Hollywood that give me that feel, but Jimmy Kimmel's the first one to come to mind just because I've been seeing him in the news. But I don't think there's anything related to him in the Epstein stuff. That's totally immaterial to what I'm talking about. Yeah, I think the other Jimmy does that for me. Jimmy Fallon, I find him very insincere. Yeah. Uh, okay, so in terms of, you know, I just want to, I'm really fascinated by this idea of social media. And I, I think, I mean, is there in, is there a case to be made in, so, in, in some way that perhaps the data accrued over social media over the last decade might be one of the biggest case stories, case studies rather, we, we've ever had in terms of data for kind of personality disorders and, and things like that. It seems, there seems to be a high correlation with very online individuals and personality disorders in my experience. Absolutely. The, the question is, is if we're to, to get good research on it, we also need to know in what ways, and let me figure out how to phrase this, but in, it's sort of how, how the engagement's been manipulated by the people who run it. Like Twitter, for example, is just a cesspool pretty much. Not always, but I mean, there's plenty of good people on there, but somehow when I would get on there, it just seemed like just angry, vicious people just attacking each other half the time. And so it's like, was that by design or is that just because people are angry and vicious, right? So if we can know sort of if, if these are just pure interactions with people and all that, I just, okay, to answer your question more cleanly, yes, there's a ton of, uh, we can more understand more about the human condition than we've ever been able to if we could collect all this data from social media. But that also includes being aware of, you know, that they want us to argue and engage with each other. So that adds to it. Excellent. Well, Dr. G, this is, this has flown by. Um, if people wanted to find out more about you and more of your work, where, where would they go? Uh, Dr. G explains.com is my website. I've got some content on there that if, that if people are interested and in, I have a couple of courses, I have a course on body language, but Dr. G explains on YouTube is the best place to find me. I'm always creating new content, analyzing mostly true crime, but sometimes other things as well talk a lot about body language and uh, narcissism and things like that. So yeah, right here on YouTube is the best place to find me. Wonderful. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for speaking to us. You bet. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Take care. All right. Thanks. Bye. Thank you.